many of us have heard the statements made about artificial intelligence and risk from names like Elon Musk and Bill Gates and Stephen Hawking and some of the, the serious concerns around AI and, and its potential threat to the entirety of the human race. In this particular episode on the Tech Emergence podcast, I interview uh, a self-proclaimed old-timer in the field of artificial intelligence who's, who tells us that maybe we're being a little bit preemptive around our concerns and we should be more concerned around how computers and artificial intelligences can work together rather than envisioning Skynet-like scenarios, at least right now. This episode features James A. Hendler of the Rensselaer Polytechnical Institute in Troy, New York. And without further ado, we'll roll directly into the show. So, Jim, the, the place I wanted to start um, is actually sort of what one of your more recent TED Talks uh, had to do about, which are the, the where, where some of the leaving the nerd room references of AI have gone, which are the, the Hawking's comments and, and Musk comments around the serious risks posed by artificial intelligence. I know in some ways you believe some of that to, to maybe be ill-founded or, or maybe be a little bit of a, an improper frame to think through things. Um, talk a little bit about, about that. How or why do you maybe see some of Hawking's concerns as, as a little bit too preemptive or, or as maybe an improper way to start the, the global conversation here? Sure, that's a great question. You know, the, um, it's really interesting being an uh, old-timer in AI I was getting into the field, and for the first many years I was in the field, almost all the critiques were, this stuff is impossible, it's never going to work, uh, why are you wasting your time? Yep. And now, all of a sudden, the past few years, that suddenly shifted to, hey, this stuff is starting to work, we're scared. And, you know, it brings up all of the years of science fiction, going, you know, way back to the Forbin Project, HAL, uh, Skynet more recently. So, so it's a really interesting time to be in AI because we're really being forced to think about that change, what's causing that change, and, and what's causing this new set of fears. And a lot of it is, you know, we're starting to see self-driving cars become a reality rather than science fiction. Uh, speech recognition is becoming much more prevalent, things like that. So a lot of things that really were never going to happen are suddenly, you know, literally around the corner. And I think what, what that's done is it's caused some people to sort of get out in front of this and project out. We're in an exponential thing. It's going to grow quickly. What happens next? Yep. Now, Hawking then takes that a step further and says, you know, when machines start self-replicating and, you know, evolving on their own, won't they fill the niche better than we will? Because it takes us a lot of years to create the next generation of people. And yep. We have to use random mutation and stuff. And, uh, you know, that seems to me to be a sort of odd question to be asking nowadays. So the more recent stuff, the um, letter that's gotten a lot of publicity lately from um, something called the LFI, the uh, talk about the need for ethical AI and banning AI yep. in weapons, that's a, that's a real concern and is something we need. But that's really not so much because we're worried about AI becoming super intelligent, it's rather because we're kind of worried about computers being put in places where, where human judgment is still really needed. Yeah, and and uh, do you think that he's posing it in a different way? So he's posing it as if the machines are, are going to, um, you know, take over and you're thinking about it as, well, it's less of that concern and more about uh, applying kind of human control and, 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 
uh, jurisdiction um, where it needs to be applied. So do, do you think he's framing it in a way that maybe is a not the proper frame at present? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So the, um, you know, the example I like to use is uh, there's an article that's been going around the web a lot lately about um, a Russian general who was, uh, or military guy, who was in a nuclear facility. The light went on that told him to launch the nukes. Uh, he said, wait a minute, you know, this doesn't seem right. There, I'm not seeing the other kinds of warnings I would expect, etc. And so he didn't. Uh, this, uh, you know, he went, he checked, etc. So this has come out recently that basically, you know, you and I wouldn't be here having this talk today if uh, that guy had been a machine who just, when that light went on, pushed the button. Yep. So there's a concern there, but that's not the concern of the computer becoming super intelligent and taking over and those kind of things. That's really much more the concern with humans are good at some things and computers are good at other things. And when we, when we don't know enough to take that into account, when we make policy without thinking about those things, that's when I think we get in trouble. So that's huh. the frame I'd rather see us using. Okay. Now, let me ask, do you think that if we didn't get that understanding right, and I think it's a tough understanding too, I don't think that's an easy one. Um, if, we, if we didn't get that understanding right of what you know people are best at and, and, and otherwise, um, if... If not, uh, do you think that the consequences could be as rough and gruesome as maybe folks um, suppose that they might be? So in other words, you know, you think maybe he's talking about the wrong kind of problem, but would it be maybe as bad as he's referring to if we didn't nail the dynamic that you are referring to? Like if we didn't understand yeah. our place versus machine's place, yeah. Yeah, so I think, that, I think that's right. So, you know, I think the problem is how do we avoid throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So the, um, you know, right now, and there's a, a number of experiments showing this, and this is increasingly becoming the case, a doctor with a diagnostic computer using more and more of, uh, you know, I know you did a show on cognitive computing, that kind of technology. Yep. They do better than the doctor alone or the computer alone. And I don't see that dynamic in the next, even the next decade or two. So we're really looking at, for the next generation, a time where what we should be looking at is how do we better couple the humans and the computers rather than, you know, is there a danger to investing in the computers at all? Um, I do think there are policy issues in that space. I think so. Come from that knowledge of that we need the partnership, but we can't move to complete automation in some of these things. Got it. So, so in in uh, do you believe that maybe the way the conversation is being sparked maybe is less fruitful or, or less aggregately productive than um than than it could or, or should be? In other words, starting the conversation with more of a what if these things take over uh, or maybe maybe a little bit more henny penny ish. And I'm not I'm not insulting it at all. I'm not having a, a massive you know serious take on hawking myself. But, but in terms of, um, you know, in terms of what would move us forward towards solving our problems and, and making, you know, for lack of better term and as vague as it is, the world a better place, um, maybe is starting the conversation on the foot that it's being started, which is more pure risk of AI takeover, unfriendly AI being better than humans and, and getting rid of us. Is that the wrong foot forward for 
you know, fruitful progress for the world in your, in your perspective. Exactly. So, you know, I think it's, you know, it's always hard to be the guy who's taking the nuanced view of things. It's so much easier to say, you know, robot apocalypse or AI, you know, is the savior, but uh, the singularity or something. Yep. But what I see is that there's a lot of space in the middle, and that's really where we are now, and that's a very important space. Yep. Um, and I think we're going to have to face a lot of complicated issues as humans as this comes along. So, for example, most of the accidents the self-driving cars have had have been caused by humans hitting them, not by them hitting uh, other drivers. So I know at least a couple people involved in that stuff who say, you know, 10 years from now, you will be considered socially uh, irresponsible if you have a steering wheel in your car. But on oh. the other hand, there are people who still say, well, but what about the joy of driving? What about the fact that, you know, there's aspects of driving that are more than just about getting from one place to another? So again, there's a conversation that's not going on. It's going on more in the terms of self-driving cars are dangerous, self-driving cars are great, and not, you know, not really thinking about the fact that there's some middle ground in here that we really need to be exploring in this policy space. Huh. And so... Again, yeah, not not seeing it as the the magic leap from a man run world to a machine run world, but but addressing that middle ground, and that has to do with, uh, you know, what what I know, or uh, you were mentioning off mic, where your next sort of projects are are honed in and anchored, which is, um, you know, what what do people do well, and what do machines do well, and maybe how can we think about that collaboration a little bit more seriously and ethically. Um, rather than just the, the bigger concerns, uh, you know, down the line and, and other things along along those lines. So a decent amount of your work is around that that collaboration. Um, where where do you see that moving forward fruitfully? If we were to combine forces, you know, us and those fancy machines of ours, um, you know, how might we do it better than we're doing it? Uh, and what might the future look like in, in such a case? Yeah, good question. That's that's really where I. Um where I'm putting a lot of my thinking nowadays, I'm trying to write a book in the area, and it's um, we're using the term social machines now, and it, it comes from uh, the way the term was used in the book Leaving the Web by uh, Tim Berners-Lee when he yep. talked about inventing the web. And Tim said, you know, there's a place, there's a place where human creativity coming together with computer mediation, so the computer network helping to collaborate the interaction among a network of humans and getting the humans to do what they do best and the computer to do what they do best, putting those together it was really the way to go. And, and when you consider he was writing this before Facebook, before Twitter, things like that, where we're starting to see some of that where the machine lets us communicate in ways we couldn't before. But now when you consider sort of adding some of the machine intelligence to that, um, there's a project out there called Galaxy Zoo, where... Galaxy Zoo. Galaxy Zoo. It's actually part of something called the Zooniverse. Uh, because what happened was this was a citizen science project. The Hubble Space Telescope takes pictures of um, the sky and, uh, you know, finds lots and lots of galaxies. And, so, and astronomers had a lot of questions about... You know, what is the distribution of different kinds of galaxies and things like that? Well, it turns out people are really good at differentiating uh, what are called spiral galaxies from cluster galaxies. And, you know, I forget all the technical yep. terms. But uh, 
computers were pretty good at sort of sectoring out this 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 thing and saying, you know, here's one, here's one. So what they did is they wrote a, a system that started in Oxford and some other places where they basically just created a website where people could kind of look at these pictures, learn a little bit about the classification, and then they could classify um, classify galaxies. So it was one of the first kinds of sort of a, a big crowdsourcing of science. Very successful. Um, tens of millions of galaxies labeled in, I think it was a year or two. Uh, now it, it's going on, it's helping Lunar. And so they have a Zooniverse, there's a whole lot of space and related science things. It's a lot of fun for people who really like doing kind of scientific stuff but don't have the formal training to go out and write papers in science. Got it. And this is now, in some degree right. like the protein folding project well, in a it, similar it's, light? It, it's sort of like the protein folding, except the protein folding is more about computer sharing and a little bit of humans involved. But it's, it's a similar kind of idea. There's a few others out there. Uh, it's becoming more and more popular. But the key idea is that Humans are the ones who can do better pattern recognition. You can look at a picture and say, hey, that's one of these, that's one of those. Uh, the computer is much better at figuring out things like, well, you know, is this person lying or not, right, or doing a good job? So it would wait, you know, it would show the same picture to a number of people. When it crossed a certain threshold, it would say, okay, that's probably, that's probably credible. It would show the same, uh, same galaxy from a few different views over time to somebody and see, you know, is that person consistent or not? So now we could create some weighting. So in a sense, the computer was doing a lot of the mediation of how do we tell if people are doing a good job? How do we know what's, you know, somebody, and again, there were points and things. So how do we know that somebody's not gaming the system? Meanwhile, you had the um, humans really contributing to science in a way they never could before. So... So if you take those kind of models and look at lots and lots of problems we have where, uh, you know, I have colleagues in the UK who are doing it, the, the locations of uh, postal codes, what we, what we in the US call zip codes, the exact boundaries are actually very vague in, in the UK sometimes. So they're trying to get people to just say, you know, do you really live here? Uh, is this mailbox really where it says it is? Uh, they did that with buses, bus stops, and Turned out a lot of the official bus stops on the official bus maps weren't actually where the buses were stopping, things like that. So again, we're, it's, it's a kind of using the computer to mediate some of this crowdsourcing. Now imagine taking that to where you could get scientists collaborating together better, where you could get people from different fields to interact, where you could get people who live somewhere near where things are happening to report what's going on. So take a problem, you know, like a biggie, like climate change or fresh water. These, these are problems where, you know, we used to say we need the best minds of our generation to solve this problem. And what I believe is the best minds of the coming generation will be both human minds and computer minds. So we've got to put those two together if we're going to solve these kind of problems. Got it. And, and other tangible examples thereof, you mentioned this notion of social machines. Um, this is sort of the aggregation of human creativity and insight you talked about with the galaxies, the machine is almost the editor and the checker of, of the, the accuracy of the distinctions made by a person. Um, it's under your belief, it's, it's fruitful now in this middle era before machines are better at all of it. Uh, maybe all of it. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't necessarily say uh, that, that, that we focus on that fruitful collaboration. Um, what are some other areas that 
that such a collaboration might be helpful or fruitful? In other words, where are some other big opportunities where the machines are not going to pick up the slack anytime soon? Well, I think, you know, um, one of the places where we see a lot of this interaction and discuss a lot is in science. So I mentioned, you know, something like climate and stuff, but um, there's a term starting to float around called discovery informatics, which is how do we get, so, so a scientist comes up with some hypothesis and spends a very long time studying it and kind of proving it. And that's where we often get very big results. Uh, you know, an, an Eric Lander or someone like that is, you know, really fairly genius at this stuff. But then you have a lot of other scientists who spend a lot of their career chasing down hypotheses that turn out to be wrong. And in many cases, there was a lot of evidence that they might be wrong earlier on that they didn't see because it was published in a different literature. Uh, human bias takes you away from that. Things like that. So again, a lot of people are now talking about how do we get communities of scientists who are sort of sharing these kind of how we do our job to get more computer input into that say, you know, maybe you should be talking to this guy or here's a paper that was published that would support what you're saying, but here's a different one that would, uh, you know, contradict what you're saying. Now, that requires a much deeper level of computer uh, understanding of text than we see currently. Yes. But that's a generation that's coming. We're starting to make tremendous strides in that in that way. And unfortunately, most of that, that technology is being used to get better ads on web pages. But that same technology is available for, you know, really solving hard problems. Uh, there's people looking at this in policy. There was a famous example of um, a project that was done in the States to help patent examiners. So patent texts would go out where they were not sure. And, uh, you know, they would just ask sort of a human community and there were ways you could identify which one you were in. You know, do you know about earlier work in this area? Oh, that, that would be fascinating, right? I mean, yeah. because how much of a shame that the same person's invented the wheel a million times. I mean, it's just a, it's a crying shame. Well, and even worse is, you know, sort of you're trying to patent a new idea, and it turns out there's some blocking patent that was issued. But when it was issued, you know, the claims were very broad. So now now you're talking about, you know, a very long court fight. Yep. Um, you know, I'm working with a, a colleague where what she's really interested in is if you start looking at uh, shell corporations and things like that, so a lot of the polluters and things. So we know that this this building in this particular part of town has had a lot of violations for one thing, and this building in a different part of town has violations with a different group, different part of the government, and another thing. Often turns out that those are sort of somewhere up the line owned by the same people. Yep. And again, she's looking at, you know, could we get people who know, hey, wait a minute, I'm looking at those addresses. Those are really the same building. Or... You know, things like that. So, uh, one of the questions is how we incentivize people to do this, bring it to their locality is obviously one way to do it. And then how do we move, you know, both to smaller problems where a little bit of your time can help, but how do you discover that's available to these much bigger problems like the Galaxy Zoo and, and climate change, protein folding, et cetera, where, where it's, you know, putting in your time, it's kind of obvious what you're doing could be helping science, but... You know, it's sort of sometimes harder to get people to do that in policy and things like that. So, with with respect to um, the the patent deal, just to clarify the example, I might actually write about this in the article. Um, might we 
like would 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 the machine itself, would the patent system as people are applying, be generating these ideas, or would there be folks uh, somewhere else who are doing the human work of manually tagging and flagging other patents in some way so that they can be pulled into some kind of a system? Where's the symbiosis in that example? I found that to be interesting. I'm trying to imagine where's the collabo. So, yeah, good question. So the earlier system I was really talking about was more just um, really humans were being allowed to weigh in um, in a process that was usually closed. So it was more about transparency and openness. But when you start bringing the computer in, it's saying things like, you know, um, how do we match expertise? There's a lot of work going on right now um, in a lot of laboratories in one hand and in government on the other hand to say, how do we find who, who are the experts, who are the experts um, who know a lot about this or who could I go, you know, when the oil, the big oil still happened in the Gulf, one of the questions was, you know, who should the government be asking about some of the aspects? And, you know, that's a networking kind of problem. That, that's sort of like you finding a friend finder through, uh, you know, the, the way, way Facebook says you might want to know about these people. Yes, right? yes. Why can't we use that same kind of technology in these much harder things? So, again, there's algorithms at the bottom of that that are looking at networks and things like that. These networks get more complicated. The computers know a lot of things. So there's a lot of work on which scientists publish together, what policy people publish with what scientists. It's that. So, again, that's a place where the computer can be making suggestions or you know, I might get something in my inbox that says, you know, uh, you said you were interested in helping to comment on policies about these areas. Here's some new stuff that you might be interested Got in. So, but again, I don't want to get thousands of those where most of them are inappropriate. I want to get a few and, of those where I really am the right person. Indeed. So this is connecting and facilitating people. So it, it is the machine. It would be the machine in this example pulling up the, po the, the other um, patent examples there. But at least at present, what you're saying is we don't have, you know, we're not in a world where, you know, right now machines are coming up with better mousetraps on a regular basis and submitting them. So we can have this machine as mediator, machine as connector and facilitator of a greater depth and breadth of connected human knowledge. This is what you're referring to? Exactly, exactly. So we're not talking about the computer coming up with the ideas that get patented, but the computer helping both the human patent office and, for that matter, the inventor know about what's out there, know about what's different. Got you know, it. some of those are, there's a lot of keyword search tools for patent technology. People are now looking at cognitive systems for the technology. So that's sort of one person going to a site, using it. That's already a plus. But now imagine that you have groups of people who are saying, hey, we're all working on something similar. Maybe we could team up, get a breakthrough, and, you know, we'll patent this group. Yeah, I mean, there's, and there's, man, the, there must just be so many examples right now of people working on something in neuroscience ardently, maybe for years at a time that that has, you know, almost precisely in terms of conditions and, you know, uh, and, and yield and whatnot been, you know, de decided or, 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 or sort of concluded, maybe not in some sort of eternally conclusive way. But in other words, there, there's been uh, experiments that people didn't have to run again if they've been run four times in other countries and you're just un- aware of it and we're, we're raising all this money to get it done. Same thing with patents. By golly, you know, if you're going to be inventing this thing for three years to find out later that there's this blocking patent, um, wasn't that a horrible waste of human potential there? Uh, wouldn't it be better if we could 
sort of know what already exists, and maybe machines can facilitate that. I do like that as a as a tangible um, example. And, and let me take that one step further. Now imagine making that a little bit proactive. You have a problem you're trying to solve, and now we can even move beyond science, right? I'm a I'm a social organizer on the streets of you know my local city. Right. Yep. There's some guy in India who's trying to solve a very similar problem, perhaps in a demographically matched place. Uh, but, you know, I would never find that person, even if they're online, because, you know, the languages are different, the cultures are different. But matching demographic, that's something the computer could do. Finding someone who's blogging or tweeting about something very similar in their context to what I'm doing in my context, that's something the computer could do. So now... It's not even that we have solved the problem and are looking to see if anyone else has the same solution, but we're trying to solve a problem. We're trying to do something. Hey, you know, this guy found a way that streetlights helped something in his neighborhood. Maybe I could try that same yep. thing in my neighborhood. Hmm, it didn't work quite the same. What was different? Okay, now that helps someone in a third neighborhood. So, you know, when you're talking about things, health, safety, uh, you know, really yeah. the things that dictate how we live day now, to day. This is, wow. A lot of that stuff, with the computer can help us put the networks of people together. Indeed. That we weren't able to do it now. It's interesting, you know, now that you bring it up, and this is just it's popping to my mind, you know, the internet is doing that to a point, right? We can individually Google individual questions. We can go on YouTube and find individual tutorials. And in some spaces, like Facebook, connecting with people from our high school or whatever, Amazon, purchasing a, per a particular category of product, um, Subspaces of of our questions or or our objectives can be aggregated in some sense. All the products, all the people, yeah. you know, they've been aggregated. But there's so much more pulling together. You know, the internet, in, in a broad sense, has is is the the mothership of that. I mean, it is the grand example thereof. But but as you're mentioning, there's all these day to day life examples where yes, you could run to the computer and Google it, but there's no single place where you can explore that realm. This particular kind of patent, who else is doing it? Uh, this particular kind of social problem, economic issue, you know, community service issue, who else has solved it? There's no place to, you know, you might find a couple good ideas on Google, but there's no swarming pool of insight in that little nugget area of the universe. Um, that 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 has been aggregated and pulled together, and that maybe that is sort of our step ahead, rather than the robots that take everything over. Right, and then pulling that back to the original topic, where does the AI come into it? Well, all of those recommender algorithms being done by Facebook, that search being done by Google, that ad match being done, all of those are making heavy use of the same AI technologies that we're talking about uh, in in the other in the other situations, yeah, the threat situations. So now, you know, again, Google has this, this amazingly powerful technology that's being used, you know, to make money. Some of that same technology could be used to solve some of these other problems, tend to be more human intensive, tend to have less obvious just where is, uh, you know, where is the dollar to be made. Yep. But, the, but the technology space, so this is what I'm saying, so the AI investment, the the ability to get computers to do these things is really important. But I don't think it's because we want the computers to do them. It's because we want the computers to help us as people do things that we need to do in our work. Indeed, and maybe that's a good note to end on. So uh, certainly a bit of a different perspective than, than others are taking, but I think a, a noteworthy 
sort of example of where that middle ground might lie and how we might move forward. Jim, thank you so much for being here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. My pleasure. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives, top researchers, and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.